You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, U.S. Border, Red, White, and Blues. In today's deep dive, we'll look at the complex and worsening situation along our southern border and explore a number of facets of what continues to be a white-hot divisive issue with very human implications. And in Courage or Cringe, Kareem's COVID sky hook, Washington's spirit shakeup, and the James Bond brouhaha. Is a legendary basketball player's perspective on the unvaccinated a clarion call to bring irresponsible athletes to account? Or is it a callous criticism full of invective and generalities that makes the situation worse? Is the unfolding drama of a national women's soccer league team a signal of a conscious consumer era where constituents have more power to shape the trajectory of companies? Or is it simply a PR and social media moment highlighting nothing more than a series of unfortunate events? And finally, are the calls for a female or gay person to play an iconic male movie character a thoughtful conversation during a moment of franchise transition? Or are they a virtue signal that looks to create tension and controversy where none should exist? This and more this week on TDR. You've been watching football? Uh, You know what? Funny enough, I actually have a little bit. A little bit. I, I was terrible about watching sports for the last few years. Kind of completely stopped watching all sports. Right. Uh, what I found myself in the last few weeks is uh, almost like a like a going back to sports as a way to soothe myself it from is. all the it's other so stuff that is it's so self soothing just become so like all the uh-huh. political stuff. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we do a lot of work to prep for this kind of for this podcast, so we probably even over index compared to most people. <laughs> I don't know I do. It, <laughs> it, it, it is in a way a kind of a, see what I'm saying. Like it's yeah, been kind it's of nice. As a matter of fact, you know what I've been doing a lot is actually watching on YouTube, which is where I watch most of my content. Uh-huh. Is a lot of the sports shows like talking about oh, I don't like, do that, the recaps of the of the game and like while it's typically the kind of thing that I would always ignore, is that it, it, that was kind of nice. Like instead of watching Rising uh, with the Hill, instead mm-hmm. of watching you know um, what's it called points uh, whatever. Points which, on, you know what I'm talking about, right? The the, the one uh, with um, I don't know any of the names. See what I'm saying? Like, instead of watching like a political, uh, you know, video right. about some other news or whatever, like 
aber not Stephen A. Smith. I do not like that dude. I just, It's a lot of yelling. Me. It's a lot of yelling. But yeah. no, I really like, uh, there is the show with Keyshawn Johnson, which I like him a lot. Yeah. Uh, Keyshawn, J. Will. Uh, yeah. The, well, he Eagles. played, he was for USC, so where he did college, and then he played... Uh, he played for a number of people for the um, Giants, right, or the Eagles? One of those two. East Coast team for sure. East Coast team. Yeah, oh, I don't know. No, yeah, it was yeah, the Jets, yeah. I think. That's East Coast team. Yeah, yeah, but I, I don't think he ever played for the Eagles or Giants. He played for multiple teams. Um, um I, I think even the Cowboys at one point. Yeah, Kishon. Uh, he was USC, and then, and then he played for the Jets oh. and the Bucks and the Cowboys and the Panthers. So uh, there see, you go. Okay, go I got two, two out of four. I knew All there right. was something green and East Coast, so that yeah, was the Jets. Yeah, yeah. Not many so options there's there. There's a show with him, J. Will, uh, and um, Max, uh, the guy who was yeah, actually yeah, with yeah, the yeah, co-host. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that show, them three, is, I love it, man. It's like yeah. it's really interesting. Cool and Keyshawn is like a like he's, he's, he's very dude. He's very like, charismatic too. The, yeah, the, he's very the, well versed. The on, thing on with sports, sports is um, it, it it fills that dynamic of something to look forward to. Monday night football, Thursday night football, Sunday football, Saturday football for college, and it's like. A lot of it, I find myself doing work, like, you know, nine to five work. Yeah. Then I'll work out, you know, hang out with the kids, do whatever. And then you put it on and do your second work. Well, yeah. like with that in the background, it is soothing though. It is. I, I do like working while having totally. a game on. You, you're notorious for that stuff. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how, you, how you can I need, concentrate. I need multiple sources of, of input. Yeah. yeah. You know what I noticed though? Um, in, have you paid attention to any of the commercials during football? I can't. I, no. Dude, so two, of the, so, so two things... Two, uh-huh. two instances where I saw this, where major celebrities are being used as VO, voiceover work, on these um, commercials without attribution to them. Oh, interesting. Super, super interesting. So a Honda commercial with John Krasinski. It's definitely okay. John Krasinski. It doesn't ever say it's John Krasinski. Right. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, which of course does the yeah, Lincoln yeah, yeah. spots, but not showing him. Just like standard feature stuff, like feature dump spots. Right. That's was, interesting. Well, I was thinking about it in the sense of like, you, what do you think the ROI is on that? I mean, you got to pay these people major bucks to voice this stuff over, and you never attribute to them. So, like, I think well, isn't that you what you would want a, a as really, a brand? Yeah, no, I, I get that. I think part of it could be could be just to the degree that it's a really recognizable voice. I don't know if I would recognize John Krasinski's voice. Really? From like, the I Office. I, it's I, the I most iconic TV like. show I know, of all time. I know what he sounds like, but if he, but if I didn't have the visual and I just heard the voice. Would I immediately recognize it? I don't know if I would. Uh, okay. Matthew McConaughey, for sure. Like, he, first of all, is like yeah. he, he has a very Sultry. unique yeah, pace of how yeah. he speaks. There's plenty, there's plenty of people that fall in that category where you hear him like, oh, I know exactly who that is immediately. Yeah. I don't know if I'll put him in that category. I mean, maybe to some people he is. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, haven't noticed it. I think he's got serious voice ID because of the office. That's what I would think. And that's, yeah. But, yeah. But I just wondered about like the trade off because if I'm a brand and I'm using a celebrity talent, I want everyone to know I'm using the celebrity talent. You know what I mean? And so, right. but there's got to be enough value there for well, them to see, justify you see doing it. it. I mean, the comparable would be in the animation business, right? You see a number of these films. Of which end up all being, you know, have voiceover. And in some cases, they lean super hard in the fact that it is a celebrity. Sometimes they don't. Right. Sometimes it's really after the fact. Yep. So I'm sure that that all depends on different kind of pace structure. The, the biggest example that I remember where they really leaned hard to who the person was, was in uh, Moana, the Disney, um, you know, the Disney feature. And where they had billboards of The Rock everywhere. Yeah. And it was like him, his, like him in real life, right, coming out. So they were like really make sure, hey, just in case you're not sure... This is the rock yeah, talking, right? And, and like, that made sense with the whole that made a lot of sense. lean into the whole South Pacific Islander yeah, thing yeah, yeah, and all of that. It made a lot of sense, yeah. 
Interesting. The other thing I watched um, yesterday a lot was the um, the uh, generals with the Senate hearings. Have you, did you watch any of these clips? I, see, you I haven't. Like that stuff. I haven't not been, a, been watching any of those clips. I've been I've been this last couple of weeks. I've definitely I'm doing a little bit of a detox for sure because yeah. every morning I'm notorious for listening to at least two, maybe three podcasts. You know, two and a half of those being news related, right? Like you know, religiously, literally, right? And I've been like every morning. I'm like, I'll put up a, you know, the that Keyshawn and just whatever they're talking. It's, but it's like background. Like, it's back. It's wallpaper. It's audio wallpaper. Yeah, in a way. and just I, I'm going through a detox for yeah, sure. I understand, and I don't watch any of the new stuff in the morning or ever. But I do have a little bit of a an addiction to these Senate hearings because yeah. they're little clips on YouTube, and it's got Senator X Y Z interrogating people. Yeah. We talked about it with the tech guy, with the Facebook guy, but they're doing that for all the generals on Afghanistan. Yeah, I know about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I haven't <laughs> seen any of them. The, the only one that I did see, um, I take it back. So the one that I did look at, because it, it became a kind of a viral moment, was in uh, with Ted Cruz, when he was interviewing uh, um, like basically different professors, one from the USC around uh, um, basically the, the position of people seeing voting rights laws mm-hmm. as being racist. And he was like questioning him on that. So there was like a viral moment between him and one of the professors, I think from... Maybe actually also USC, I want to say. Uh, I saw that one, but but frankly, I haven't been paying enough attention. Yeah, I just they, haven't. They've also had, the generals one is it's definitely detox. General Milley and uh, the Secretary Austin, um, and then the other general I forget his name, but I mean very interesting stuff. Mostly because they just completely bounced the narrative that we've been hearing for a while. So there's a lot of news about that today. Oh, interesting. And then Mallorca's too the border. Speaking of the border, because we're going to talk about the border, he also has had in the last few weeks. Just a few grillings that are that are interesting watching. Yeah. I just like the dynamic of how they trade off. You know, Republican then Democrat, Republican then Democrat, and you can watch the people as they're on the panel. They kind of take a deep breath. They're like, "Oh, okay, good. I'm not going to get that grilled right, on right. this one. Oh crap! Here comes the other one." Right. And then there's like the superstars, right? There's like uh, Cotton and Holly and these guys who are like the ones who are you know they're going to have a clip, and then maybe in some cases they're doing it for that. Right. Ted Cruz, another one. Um, yeah, Ted but, Cruz is a big one not for that. Yeah, but um, anyway, it's I kind of make this about me exactly. <laughs> Every single one of those times. Well, how do we how do we uh, even begin to to tackle speaking of Mallorca's this border thing? Because there's so much going on. I mean, well, a lot of it around Del Rio, but it's it's yeah, bigger than that. I mean, it's like now a pattern of um, yeah of all of the shortfalls that I think have have continued to occur uh, within the border situation. But it's not just the border. The reality is, I remember we talked about this a while back. Where I told you, you know, my thoughts as it relates to how we look at. How we treat immigrants in this country, so I just think it's really shitty. Yeah, you know, I was think, thinking about it, that I when it I was runs thinking across about this. multiple yeah. parties, administrations. administrations. Yeah, like, people tend to like blame it, like, "Oh, it's just the Republican." No, it's not. Like, stop yourself. It, it, no, it's settle. Not. Like, settle. So it's not. It's like it. The the shitty approach of how we treat immigrants cuts across the board. It does, and and it's it, like I mean, there's a lot that you know. If I if I if I take a step back and I look at what has happened with this administration. And what the expectations were that were set up? Some of them, none of them, be very self-inflicted. Uh, it's it's tough to feel pity. There's also really quick I can say like, yeah, but what's the alternative in some of the situations? But it's just like when looking at the situation that just happened with these uh, Haitian immigrants is like once again another border crisis. Yeah, right. But the broader context though, there are some. I looked at some of the data, and there there have been. This is for sure a crisis, and it's been a crisis for a lot longer. Yeah. But in terms of the ebbs and flows of the little bar chart, it's definitely at a high peak like oh, over the last sure. yeah, two decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, and 21 could, years, I think, yeah, um, highest. Yeah, you could think about the but, – but if you want if – you, if you take a step back, even with that, the point you just made, if you think about it in the context of a pendulum swing, I think, I think there is – and you 
I hate to be the guy that says like, oh, blame it on Trump. But there is something to be said when you take an extremely harsh line as it relates to how you deal with immigrants. The second anyone gives you like, oh, we're going to be the opposite of that because a lot of the messaging were opposite of that. The pendulum will swing. The pendulum will swing. And, it's, yeah. and even when people will take a risk that they're not, that they maybe wouldn't have taken a risk otherwise. Because mm-hmm. even this Haitian uh, immigrant issue is not just people coming from Haiti. It's Haitians coming from, from other so, countries that, that they've been it, living there for, for years. years. Exactly. So, so that's kind of the point. It's, right. like, it's like you but, have this, yeah. this combination of things, you know? Yeah. But even that, that idea of a lot of these uh, Haitian migrants having set up in South, in South American countries, because they speak, a lot of them, you watch these clips, they speak pretty good Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even that, though, is in the category of kind of verboten things to say, because you really can't talk about that, because then that sort of can potentially divorce it from the immediate things that have happened in Haiti, the assassination of their leader yeah, and all that. So there's a lot of kind of politics yeah, so that, that's wrapped into it. The, for sure. And so, and then there is the, the dynamic in the story, specifically as it relates to the reaction slash overreaction to how we look at content through social as a lens, right? Heck yeah. And how things can get... Sometimes distorted. Sometimes it's exactly the, the way it is. Sometimes it needs to have a strong reaction. And so there's so many elements to the story that and I that's thought would be worthwhile and, and, well, for us what, to kind of get into. One quick thing on that point, exactly. The last time that the um, uh, number of apprehensions and illegal crossings mm-hmm. had been this high was actually the 90s. And even then, that number was higher than it is today. Slightly, but it was higher. I don't remember... Now, granted, the Clinton's administration, I was you know, finishing high school, starting college, whatever. So I wouldn't have been as keyed in, but I just don't remember the kind of agita and, and craziness around it like we do now. Yeah. But that's because we didn't have Facebook and well, Instagram and, and, and Twitter. You already and, had 24-hour news channels, but they weren't as extreme as they are now. No, they were actually journalism at some right. point. So, th- so th- it's, a, it's a combination, yes, yeah, social for sure. But even when you think about the news machine that we have now compared to what it was in the 90s, it doesn't compare. Mm-hmm. Right, so so all of these fit into this factor. So look, let's 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 rewind, right? So this whole thing starts with, of course, these viral images that come out of border patrol agents on horses, uh, forcefully removing Haitian immigrants. Right now, those images were taken on September nineteenth by a freelance journalist, Paul Raji, uh, showing basically, as, as mentioned, this, this U.S. border patrol agent pursuing Haitian immigrants near the Rio Grande. Right now, there was also a separate pair of videos that actually captured. Um, by the same news organization that basically show the, the border agents yelling insults at some of these Haitian immigrants, obstructing them from being able to cross the Rio Grande, right? And immediately there was outrage, right? Um, across the board, I mean, and, and actually, in, and even including from the Biden administration themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, part of this led pretty quickly to uh, DHS or Department of Homeland Security, right, to order an investigation into the actions for the border patrol agents, right? And many Democrats um, especially called out President Biden and VP Harris, right, Vice President Harris, for the action, basically for the inhumane treatment uh, or handling of, of immigrants. There was even like some event of which uh, Vice President Harris was at. I forgot what it was. But one of the, and I was reading one of the quotes from one of the people that attended there. And she was like, look, look to give her credit, they're... She was. She doesn't say this exactly. She said, "Look, they're fucking it up, but at least they're pretty candid of, of asking for and like receiving the feedback from within the party, right?" Apparently, that's what's happening in this in this event. Now, part of what we were talking about: how do we get here, right? Which is part of the question, right? Well, and I do want to talk about the the situation with the horses and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that's a, the so whole much... other thing about the right, right, right. Yeah. So that's so. The, how do we get here? Well, the Biden administration decided to uh, expel more than a thousand Haitian immigrants. 
uh, migrants, I'm sorry, who had illegally crossed the border in Del Rio, Texas, right? Um, and those, those ex, you know, explain them basically to a country that, as we, we kind of already mentioned, has had major natural disasters, massive political upheaval, right? They just literally had a presidential assassination that was only a few months ago, right? Uh, tropical storms, earthquakes, and even some of this goes back to, go all the way back to 2010. Of course. Like 11 years ago, It goes right? even we, further back than that. Yeah, though, you're right. Means. But that was specifically, there was a 7.0 earthquake that hit the country, which basically led for many Haitians to leave to other places like Brazil, to Chile, other places in South America, of where they've been living there for a while, right? Now, why? when I heard them, like, that's, 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 that's interesting, but like, why, the why now, right? Well, part of the why now, at least one of the things that people, one of the theories here is that Biden earlier this year renewed the temporary protected status for Haitians in the U.S., right? So this is actually a status that the Trump administration had revoked for Haitians back in 2017, right? So almost the beginning of, of is the that Is that the one that the Cubans still have? The, like the Cubans have it and the Haitians don't? There's some dynamic there where there's... I don't op- know if the Cubans still have it. I, I, I think they don't, Charlie. Okay, maybe not. I'm, that's what I'm asking. But, yeah, but, there's, yeah, yeah. but there's oftentimes comparison between the treatment that Cubans get and the treatment that Haitians get right. relative to the situation they're fleeing. And it does contrast a kind of political dictatorship and leaving to seek asylum mm-hmm. versus... The leaving because chaos, natural disaster, right. corruption, economic issues, right? So yeah. it, it does contract. It, it is also in the same state, right? You have a lot of Haitians. Well, that's the thing is if you're in South Florida, Florida you've, yeah, been, yeah, yeah. you've been hearing Haiti for a long time. The rest of the country right now is going, Haitians, what, right. what, when this happened? <laughs> exactly. But like I lived in Florida and went to high school yeah. and college there. And believe me, it was a constant. Yeah, so I, you're right. I think that I definitely have heard that in the past, um, and that's maybe one worthwhile looking up. But but I, I don't. I, I want to say that also Cubans have had that now removed. Okay. Right. What's interesting here is that 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 basically policy allows migrants to stay in the U.S. Um, when basically conditions in their home country prevent them from returning safely. Right. What's interesting about that, even though this was now basically renewed, this temporary protected status that only applies to Haitians who are already living in the U.S. As of July 29th, so not basically doesn't impact any of these folks that are trying to cross over now. Sure. But when you give that kind of signal, you can totally see how that thing gets understood as, hey, much more friendly conditions for me to be able to go into the country. And then what causes, I think, some of these folks that have been basically living in these other countries, probably also illegally, right? And, And saying, hey, it's worth making the trip now. That all results in all these, you know, thousand basically people in this border Trying to trying to move, you know, try to try to try to cross cross the border, and, mm-hmm. and we get into this kind of chaos. But it was, but this whole thing though did come to a head with the with the image of the the, the there was the image, the, not just the, the troopers image, on horseback right. and what they were doing, how they were doing it, the the comment that one of them made to somebody that mm-hmm. kicked this off in a much bigger way. It's been going on, like I said, for a while. This has for been sure. a crisis situation. There hasn't been enough visibility to what's been going on until Rio, probably for a lot of reasons. Right. But that image crystallize something. The, the right? image and the packaging of the image, right? And the package. The package of the image was Border Patrol agents whipping these basically black people right. that are trying to cross the border. Right. And, and, and it, it recalls every negative it does. connotation, Even, feeling that you could possibly have, all the things that we for sure <laughs> as Even, a country trying to move away of course. from, right? And like, then you have, you know, statements like uh, Maxine Waters, my own congresswoman from right here in 90045, who said that it was worse than slavery. That's literally a quote, which I thought was like, talk about irresponsible. And then other people equating them together. The image is so 
the image is easy to put like in your mind. You sure. put it over these historical things, but it's one of those where it reminds me of the thing that you always talk about. Like you see the viral clip and then you see the other viral clip a month later and you're like, wait a minute, that adds a like, little bit different, right? the context. Because it, even the guy who happens. took the picture. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm going to say. Like the, it was reported that way. It was packaged that way. But the guy that took the picture, he basically come out and says, look, nobody saw a border patrol agent whipping anyone, right? Having said that, what we did see was mm-hmm. a border patrol agent swinging the rein, basically, which is what they use for the horse, in like a circle, which looked pretty threatening. Nobody saw him actually strike the migrant with that thing, the reins, right? Okay, and let's let's pause there for a second because mm-hmm. I want your perspective on mm-hmm. this. What if somebody were to say it's meant to look threatening? And let me put it to you in this context, yeah. right? Imagine like instead of a horse, it's a police cruiser. And instead of, you know, people trying to cross a river, it's you on a slow or fast chase out on a highway. At some point, cops will use their cruisers to, like, butt the back of your car to spin you out. Other times they'll throw spikes on the street. They'll use tools in a way to to intimidate. And I'm not even suggesting that's what they're across the board doing. But what if they were? Like, what's your thought on on that? I I think the— I definitely think there's more to this. It's a complicated issue, but the threat of of that you're gonna whip someone with this whip, or you're on a horse, or you have these people that are trying to, you know, basically walk across or, or swim across this 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 river. I could definitely, see, I can understand the how this thing gets viewed as being inhumane, even if they actually they were not actually whipping them, right? And, and, and going mm-hmm. back to by the way, the, the example that I would give, yeah, it's a different case but a very but an example that I would give is you and I talked about this in the past where there was this image where uh that also went viral that is talked about here in LA that police were basically using high power rifles to remove homeless people from the beach. Yeah. We saw that and now it turns out that the real story of what actually happened was that they were uh investigating uh, a homeless person that had a weapon that at least claimed that there was there was a weapon now, when the, they, what ended up really happening is that they did find the weapon, but it was a BB gun, right? Having said all that, my view initially was like, yeah, but I don't see a scenario where like the right call is to have this M16 pointed at people, how that it doesn't come off as being inhumane, mm-hmm. even if you were looking for a, a weapon. Unless someone's saying, hey, there's someone is out there with a high power, where it merits that kind of show of force. And to me, it's like this falls under the show of force. That just something doesn't sit well with me. Because yeah, of that. Does, so, does that make sense? Of like, course that's it part, does. That's part of course of the, it does. Two things, right, really quickly on the homelessness one. Mm-hmm. The other point of context, which I mentioned, but you didn't mention just now. You may, I don't know if you remember, is that a lot of the gangs use the homeless encampments to store weapons. That's the yeah, other kind of bit of context, yeah, and yeah, I know yeah. that for a fact because yeah. of my work in, with homelessness. The other thing is this question of I, I agree that the optics are bad. I agree that the situation is inhumane. I agree with all of that. But I also think that these border people are completely getting thrown under the bus, and I don't think that that is um, going to elicit the kind of support you need at the grassroots from the people doing the work to actually get this thing right. And I say that for a couple of reasons, but one of them is I view the horse as a tool. I think these guys it, are it riding these horses them, all day. Right? They, they are, and they actually talk about the reason they use horses because in some of those areas, they're really hard to get to. Right, so well, they can't use their, their vehicle. I mean, yeah, but it's not just yeah. it's like that entire area. So making sure they're using the horses to travel sure. because their vehicles themselves, yeah, the trucks, course. whatever they use, because of the terrain, it won't allow them to get to some of these places, and that's why they use horses, right? But the whole it's just well, of course, it's, it, it's yeah, of so course. hard to. And by the way, the point you're making mm-hmm. is the same point that another piece that we actually were looking at is the point that 
um, former representative Tulsi Gabbard was actually making. She was interviewed recently on on Fox News. I think is what, who it was. Um, and and she was complaining, making making a case that Biden's actions and his comments uh, really were irresponsible. Right. Her point was that how can they expect to have any kind of fair outcome to an investigation when the president of the United States has already declared their guilt and that they will be punished? It's right. Fair. It's yeah. When I see that, it's not that it's not fair. But I also understand the the coming out and taking a strong stance against some of these issues because the alternative would be, and what she recommends, like basically he shouldn't even weigh in. He should wait, let the facts in, and once again, the example that I gave is like police brutality, things we see. Yeah, like I, don't, that. I, I definitely don't think that's true. And it's yeah. and it's a case where if you don't say something, if you don't react, he to should. It, he should have said something. See what I'm saying? Like it's just like that's where he I should have said something. Where I, I where I think he erred is in. Um, stuff that making up things or stating things that actually are not in evidence, like strapping or whipping people when right. that actually has never been observed and even the person taking the photograph so that didn't happen. He's perfectly fine to weigh on the situation, talk about how horrible it is, how inhumane the situation is. But I think he's actually, at a person of the, in that position, he's he's kind of saying, yeah, look, it's my responsibility, but look at the pictures. I mean, they're horrible and we're going to have a full, and we're going to hold those people to account, right? right. It was it's like, like, it was inst- Dude, you're accountable. That's what I'm saying. This this shitty situation, you're accountable. Like that, <laughs> you know, I'm very democratic, but like, how? No pity for these guys. Like yeah. seriously, I think the whole poor situation. Look, we have people that are being shipped off without even getting a right to a a hearing on asylum, which is what they're coming to do. So there's also the question, like, okay, so we're not, we're not doing asylums anymore for anyone. Okay, that now was a as a policy for this country. And you want to apply it to NATO and any other nation. Hey, guys, by the way, just so everyone's on the same page, we don't no longer do asylums in this country. So same thing for other places. We're all on the same, on the same page. Like, if that's the case, I may not agree, but I'm like, okay, I guess. But but then why apply it to this specific group of people? And why not uphold the same rules that you should be applying across the board? I think it's just a See what per- I'm saying? Like, that's the course. part. Like, I think it's a perfect storm. I think you've got... You know, so much division in the country. You've got division around this issue. Then you've got this situation where there's thousands of people who are all gathered in this in this position. You hear them talk about it. They're like, yeah, we think it's better. We think it's okay to now come, despite the fact that the government is at least t- attempting to say, please don't. The border's closed. Like, they all say that, right? Even right. though we have all these people coming in. I think also the government is taking a harder and harder line. I mean, they started to look way closer to what a Trump administration was. It relates to the policy of how they deal with, with, with people crossing the border. In spite of that, that that influx, it's yeah. like just simply changing the person and, and coming off with like, "Hey, we're now going to be much better. We're not going to be that last, you know, administration." I think what they're realizing is that by saying that, it was like a massive green light, and now they're trying to you know plug the dam right as it's, as it's breaking. The other interesting point about this, I looked up this stat, is the the um, the differences over time in the last few years of where people have been coming from. Mm-hmm. In that southern border, the biggest growth um, beginning when Trump left office and the beginning of the Biden presidency, believe it or not, has been a huge increase in Mexican immigrants. Would it kind of wane? We don't talk about it, right? We don't. We talked about Central that's America. Not, that's so funny. We don't really it's, talk about it's that. It's a huge. I seen that. The, the two biggest increase are Mexico and other. What's gone down relatively is El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, which have been historically like, you know, they'd kind of taken over the whole idea of Mexican immigration was no longer Mexican. It was through Mexico, but not right. Mexican. That's, well, that's definitely that changed. Still, still feels like that's the narrative. That's interesting. I had not look, heard yeah. that or seen that. I'm looking at a, at a graph from U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and you can see the spike. It's actually pretty dramatic, and it happened literally. It's almost like on the day, the moment that, that Biden was sworn in. It was right. like, just like a huge increase. 
Look, for, for me, just to kind of give you, and I, I don't know if you have a philosophy maybe that you would kind of put forth in terms of this issue, because everybody agrees it's complex, mm-hmm. but in a way that kind of puts you in a position where like, okay, so I guess we can't do anything about it. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, right, it's right. really hard. I think the, the you know, people does have a right, a right, a human right to look for the best thing for them and for their families. If they can't find it in their home country, they have a right to seek that somewhere else. It's not a, you can, it's a right. Okay, Mm -hmm. I believe that. Mm -hmm. I also believe that countries have a right to enforce their borders and protect the citizens that they have within. And I believe borders should mean something. Right, mm-hmm. that river. We keep saying it's a river. It's a river. Yeah, it's also a it's a border. That's right, it. Right, think yeah, it's yeah. a natural border. But that's mm-hmm. on one side is Mexico, on the other side is America. Um, and I and, and thirdly, I think that the degree to which we enforce our immigration laws and that right to protect a border needs to be done in a way that is compassionate and humane, recognizing the dignity of other people. That's my philosophical position. When when I come across things, I look at them and weigh them in that context. How how do you view any of these things? Uh, I mean, I I don't disagree with anything you just said. All right. Well, that's so good. I think that's yeah. I I agree. I think part of the then what do we go from here? The part that I would love to see is a more comprehensive and consistent immigration policy for this country. Going back to what we're saying, look, many people that are coming in, they're coming in um, seeking asylum, right? If if the if we need to rethink maybe that's what yeah maybe, our what, asylum what that means laws yeah. and what are the dynamics of home countries should be the, in order to to yeah. someone who can then let's do that. This is actually really interesting. See right? what I'm saying? Because like, like, cause, th- cause, yes, cause of, when you think of what's happening in Haiti, like I have a hard time. Like, well, what else needs to happen right? for someone for sure. that say that the, it's just not safe where you are? Think right? about the 80s. Well, right now with, the, with Afghanistan, the situation that we can say we kind of created at this point. If someone is leaving there seeking asylum to come to the U.S. It's a dynamic that I think probably checks the box of saying like, hey. Yeah, we just created pretty- a huge vacuum in your country and now it's a debacle. But you right. want, like, hey, you want well, to get Good out. luck with that. Yeah. You're at the weight of the Mexico have a- <laughs> side. <laughs> have, a nice, have a nice life. See what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But look, it's actually an interesting point too because if you think back to the Cold War, right? Think about where people were seeking asylum from, like the Soviet Union, sure. Cuba, all of these things. World um, political and kind of social orders have evolved to the point where maybe some of that stuff, frankly, has waned. I mean, let's put China aside for a second because yeah, yeah. they're kind of not – they're kind of a weird type of communist, at least right now. They're like a hybrid, right? It's like it's like they communist yeah, with, yeah. with genes and K-pop. You know what I mean? Right. Um, communists like to make money. <laughs> exactly. Like super, super techno, greedy communists. But – um. But 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 basically, I think you have a lot of people who are now in um, kind of distressed economic situations, mm-hmm. in situations that have maybe religious persecution. Sure. That's always existed. But what I'm saying is there's ebbs and flows in that, right? Where we've had this huge thing of asylum equals you're leaving a communist dictatorship. That's right. kind of what we've put in our head. And some of that stuff has waned. Yeah. So what point. does this idea mean now? Well, I, I would even say – this is going to be kind of a shot, I guess, but – I would, I would one of the gauges that I would use to look at what merits asylum or not is like, have we as a country, meaning U.S., have done anything directly to create the situation? Because if we have, maybe this should be a little bit higher on the list of saying, "Hey, I know we kind of made a fuck that thing up over there, mm. so we're going to take some more of those people and help them." If now because of our direct involvement, we create a worse situation for what's happening, even with because you know, even with good intent, bad yeah. things happen, right? And some people that would to say, me would be it, like, 
Insiders would say we do do that, right? They would say, look, even with this Afghanistan thing, we have done a deal with them and say, hey, look, we're going to give you some economic blah, blah, blah. We're going to send some technology or some whatever. So like people would say, well, we're kind of doing that already. We're sort of offsetting our impact that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But but those things, I think they tend to be more focused about investing or helping that country in some way. I'm referring to like what Mitigating the the effects on this side is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like what merits something. I think that's one. The other thing in terms of immigration policy is like you have to have a cleaner and better path towards residency and citizenship, especially for people that are in this country contributing day to day. And that frankly, as a country, we rely on them at this point to contribute day to day. So I think of DACA immediately, Mm -hmm. right? Um, what about somebody fresh coming in? So let's say, say like, like those, yes. So let's, let's like start fixing all the, all of those things, right? I, I, I'm on board. Also, think even I have, a, I have a for instance for you. Okay, just really quick. Let's say today, okay. literally today, you you know you get to write the new law or at least okay. design it, and today someone enters despite the institution of your thing in a way that is not in accord with that process, i.e., illegally. Is there any impact that happens to that person because they chose to? circumvent the existing policy, whatever that is, yeah, yeah. whatever no, I, that I, is. I agree. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not against the idea that we should not just simply allow anyone at any time to cross the border. I'm not for it. That's, that's why I'm, I'm look, I'm not, I do not claim to have a solution for this. This is a massive problem that's been going on for decades. I'm simply like putting in the buckets that I will look at to try to fix. That's, that's more of I'm, as I'm trying to ration my yeah, own mind, yeah, I'm putting fine. in the buckets, right? Like, yeah. To me, the first bucket it is asylum. And the reason I say that because especially new people coming in, right? Like those are people that are coming from like dire situations, life and death situations. And I think you have to have a it just doesn't feel like you have a consistent way of how you think about people that are coming in for asylum. And have the process internally, but to process those those people. Because that's the other thing too, is that you know, I know that the President Biden um uh, put forth immigration policy. And frankly, I don't remember what was included. Maybe it includes all I think that I'm saying. Maybe it's completely redundant and it's just not getting approved. I don't know. But anyways, I know that that was basically, was it was dead upon arrival, right? DOA. That's one. I think the, the the folks that are already here that are contributing, giving them a path to be able to get out of this illegal status. So it'd be a second one. To your point, there is a point where like you can't just cross. And I think that you should protect your borders. I agree with that. I also think that as a country who we've talked about already continues to basically shrink in population. We're not replacing our population. There is demand for the kinds of to, and just to keep up with GDP that you need a certain amount of workforce that let's create actual products people can do legally to come into the country to so still do the same kind of job because some people are finding the jobs when they go into the fields. They are working because yeah. the jobs are needed, right? So yeah. it's like create can, the better paths for people to sure. actually fill those kind of roles. Can I ask a kind of a mm-hmm. cryptic, cynical question? Yeah. Do you think – so how do you feel – that? how do you think the Border Patrol people feel right now about – the administration, the people who are their bosses, how do you think they feel right now? Just really quick, and because that's not my question, but I'm going yeah. to ask a question. You think they're positively inclined or negatively inclined to the current administration? Uh, I think they are, um, I will say they're more on the negative than positive. More on the negative than positive. Okay, sure. so here's my cryptic question. Mm-hmm. Given the fact that the border agents, their union, and you know maybe some of this was exaggerated as all things with Trump were... But he got a lot of support from the border agents because he was out there showing or presuming to show their story, the thing that nobody ever talks about, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that somewhere in the administration somebody said, look, look, these are not people that are on our side anyway. So 
Who cares if you piss them off? Who cares if they're negatively inclined to you? Who cares if we lose our moral authority over this particular group? Because they're not really with us anyway. Like, do you think at some point anybody ever said that to Biden or anybody else? No, I mean, no, no, I don't think so. I think I, I, I once again, I'm drawing a parallel between what's happened in the border and border agents with police and around police brutality, which is I think the only way you change that is by having those that are directly in the field do more of a calling out whenever there are some of these issues to their own people so that it actually starts to change behavior. Right. Yeah. So if instead of President Biden going out and saying, like, I am like embarrassed i think this is terrible having like department heads etc from from border patrol saying hey guys we have a really hard job but i look at that image and i don't feel good about that yeah well and that being like the first thing that comes out i think i think that starts to change the culture because the thing that i also think about and i've heard this a lot in the case of police of, of police brutality there's also a culture thing the kinds of people that are looking for those kinds of jobs you know you have some folks that are walking in with chips on shoulder that like to kind of you know use their power in other people, you're going to have that. That's It's a natural human thing. And I think it takes that leadership within those organizations to start to root that out by being the first to call it out and having to wait for somebody else to, to do it for Look, them. Look, I'm a big believer in the power of images and I agree that we should feel something and we should, and a lot of times images can actually be the major movers that you need in a change of culture and understanding. I think of the little, the, I, the iconic picture of the little Vietnamese naked girl uh, that yeah, for sure. everybody's seen as a way to really kind of highlight what a disaster Vietnam was, right, mm-hmm. on all sides of the equation. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer in images. But I also have to believe that images have to actually be based on reality, too, about something that's actually happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I feel that when we don't do that, we play a little bit of a kind of Rorschach test thing with it. And then it just – we we run off into the hills with some understanding that it is really pretty far divorced from what's actually happening. Now, that's not to say that everyone, I mean, again, the situation is inhumane, as is. The fact that people are wading through a river to go get water or food or whatever, to bring it back to their campsite that they're sitting at hoping someone will let them in because they've got nowhere to go. That is inhumane. Totally got it. But I just feel that... um, I think that the, the border patrols, the patrol people, especially the ones who were looked at or cited in those videos as whipping people when they didn't, I think they have a right to be pissed. I don't think that that helps the situation. And I just feel like we need a little bit more uh, kind of nuance and conversation. And frankly, I think the, the, the thing that like I have not seen this administration do, not Biden and not uh, Vice President Harris is just go down there and spend some time down there. Like, well, you know, with, with Harris, well, she hasn't gone to Europe. What was her answer the last time? Yeah, I've never been to France. I've never been to like get out of here. Get out of here. Um, yeah. I so mean, it's, uh, no, I, I I agree with you. I just it is a sad situation, and um, you know, listen, maybe maybe out of this comes some a little bit more fire in the belly of actually trying to do something more transformation and to fix some of some of these some of the challenges that there actually are there. Well, it I think is that, yeah, there can't be any more uh, a heightened awareness of it, yeah, and the numbers sure. are, are pretty big relative to history. All right, well, we got to get you to a baseball game, so should we do Courage or Cringe? Yes. Let's do it. You are hitting that button, right? You hit that button with the sound effect. Everybody knows that uh, you've got the uh, sound effect board. It's the big red button. Bong, yeah, right? it's uh, amazing. Love it. What's All right, so we're we'll, we'll talking about sports. So we're going to talk a little bit about sports. I'm excited about this. Um, courage or cringe? So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Skyhook. Yes, one of my favorite. Has no time for NBA's COVID vaccine selfishness. Do you remember him in that airplane movie? 
Yes. <laughs> it's not Blue Collar Plan. Yeah, 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 for sure. That that movie is like, there's so much wrong. There's so much non PC in that thing. It's like, nobody did slapstick like the 70s and oh, 80s. Oh, and it's there. like, someone's it's really like, bad. Like, if you go back oh, and look at horrible. it now, it's like, you know, there's like the. the Although the, some of the early 2000s slapstick stuff, like Not like, Another Teen Movie and all that stuff, that was pretty oh, yeah, out there yeah, yeah. too. But even like, there was like a, the scene where there was like the, the three black dudes on the plane, and they're like, does anyone speak jive? And then like, one of them. Oh, oh, yeah. Are you and kidding then the white me? lady like, started that never pass now. But funny as hell. Yeah, it is pretty funny. So, look, the NBA season is, is about to begin October 19th. So we're, you know, uh, a couple of weeks away. So, yep. But even before it begins, the league is already struggling on how to handle uh, unvaccinated players who are refusing to get vaccinated, even if it costs them and their team greatly, right? So here comes basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, and he he's said, not having any of it. He's not having any of it. He's pretty no straight nonsense. to the point. So the NBA should insist that all players and staff are vaccinated or remove them from the team. There is no room for players who are willing to risk the health and lives of their teammates, the staff, and the fans simply because they are unable to grasp the seriousness of the situation or do the necessary research. Wow. So no, you know, not messing around. Not messing around. Now, officially, the not league, a lot of nuance in that statement. No, no nuance. Officially, the league actually is not requiring players to receive their full COVID vaccines. Um, however, and I think we talked, we covered this before. They put in some special protocols for those unvaccinated players. Right. But it's like you don't, need, you don't need to be vaccinated. But here is we're going to make it eight hundred hoops. Yeah, we're going to make it through. painful. But but the thing that we hadn't actually talked about or thought about is that, but me actually more importantly, the players also have to adhere to those city ordinances related to COVID vaccines. Yeah. And that's where this, this There's story one becomes... being talked about here in L.A. Did you read about the one that's being talked about here I'm in L.A.? I'm not, no. But this is directly related to that, right? any indoor activity, they're that's voting exactly on what it is, COVID right? vaccination so, certificates. I had, not, I had not seen that. Yep. So in places like New York or San Francisco, that means players can't play in the facility, facilities unless they show proof of at least one vaccination shot, right? So that means some of the biggest names currently impacted by this, uh, Kyrie Irving from the Nets, that means that he could miss as many as 44 games I think 43 of those are home in one, one away. Does he get docked for the games he doesn't play? Well, or is that contract? I don't know. I, I, you know, I haven't seen that yet. So I think it That's depends a, on how they're going to sure, handle it. Yeah. Sure. 44 out of 82 games. Just think about that, right? Where this guy's an all-star, right? You have Andrew He's going to be really rested when he plays. From the Warriors, yeah. He was, he was just denied a religious exemption, right, from the league. Um, and then you have a... Jonathan, Wait, the league denies religious exceptions? Yeah. I think, well, I think, I think well, who else will, will do it? Oh, I, I mean, I, I didn't know that. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess they would be the one to do it. I just yeah, didn't know. Yeah, it would be like, the league. How do, what constitutes their, I know we're not talking about this, but how, what constitutes their denial of a religious oh, I don't exception? know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see what the what the criteria was. But yeah, I mean. Interesting see, times. I mean, the same way for all COVID rules, people yeah. will submit an, an exemption and then whether or not it gets approved. The, the one that was really interesting in this, in this group was Jonathan <laughs> Isaac from Orlando, right? From who, the Magic, who, yeah. Who makes a pretty interesting point. And basically in saying that he does not want to get vaccinated because of actually having natural immunity since he got COVID, right? So that's the case that he's making. But regardless, all three of these players that are falling in the same kind of category. Can, can I say something really quick, though? Mm-hmm. And this is maybe this in itself is a little bit of an unfair characterization since I didn't hear Kareem say this, but I read his words. Mm-hmm. I did see Jonathan Isaac say what he said. Mm-hmm. And in reading the words of Jonathan Isaac compared to Kareem, just like... The, to me, one of the things that was stark was the contrast between those statements, right? One is so dogmatic, so in a way, kind of like 
unwelcoming and sure. uh, very and, black and white, very black and white, very binary, and, yep. and, and and super binary, and not sort of yep. open, and all these other things that we say we care mm-hmm. about. And the other one was a thoughtful, reasoned, clear, articulate. You can come to a different, you can disagree, right. but it's like it was so and gentle, even. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. just like listening to those. I, I would also put Jonathan Isaac and Kyrie Irving or Andrew Wiggins in, in different very, categories. Very different yeah, categories. Yeah, I, I think to that. your point, that's why I, you know, and I read a piece that you shared with me about Jonathan Isaac, and I thought. Yeah, it is actually she's making a really interesting point, right? Um, the case, I mean, part of the challenge I think that we take Kareem's comments in context. He's responding to to some extent, I think, primarily to Kyrie Irving, who also, but by the way, historically has been a, a flat earther. He was out there, you know, giving interviews saying that he believed the Earth was flat. So you have a guy. Wait, who, it's not. <laughs> exactly. Um, one of the best memes that I've seen is like, "There's flat earthers all over the globe." Was like one of the like, Oh, that's great. Uh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. That's very clever. But, but I think part of his comments is mm-hmm. I think are coming out of frustrations. When you see someone like a Kyrie Irving who is an all-star, who is I forget what his role is for the for the National Players Association, but he's pretty up there. He's not I don't think he's the main person, but he's he's right he's right up there. And someone that I'm sure at this point, you know, Kareem has no patience for for him whatsoever. And maybe he's projecting that with everybody else. Well, and he's also a very opinionated guy, though, Kareem. I mean, he's not shy. Oh, yeah, he's not shy on a number all. of so, things. Um, so, yeah, so, but, I mean, basically that's that. I mean, right now, they're, by the way, the, the, the overall league's about 90% of the players are fully vaccinated. So, ultimately, is that, right? Courage or cringe? Kareem demanding mandatory compliance for the safety of all, or the league, you know, should respect players' personal choice above all, even if it compromises the game. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's cringe. Um, I think it's, you know, for a number of reasons, but principally because it's so dogmatic, so black and white. So this idea of the reason that somebody would not have a vaccine is because they're unable, quote, to grasp the seriousness of the situation. Well, that doesn't apply at least to Jonathan Isaac. And as long as there's one person, there's an exception to that, right? So I just think... I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, I, I just think that... Um, the way that it was done, it, it kind of reminded me of this. Um, there's sort of acceptable people and unacceptable people. And those are just categories I just can't play with. You know what I mean? So, like, it just came off really, really aggressive and kind of dire. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just – I didn't like it at all. And I like Kareem. By the way, I grew up watching the Lakers play. Yeah. Like, that was the team. Johnson, Kareem, mm-hmm. you know, all those. So, like, I'm a fan, but um, but not of this statement. So, I'm a cringe. Okay. I'm trying to get you your baseball game, so I'm going quick. No, I, I appreciate it. I was actually very, you know, succinct. I'm being punchy. Right? I'm being punchy. Um, yeah, with Kareem, I would say I'm probably also cringe on this one. Um, look, I, I appreciate what he's saying. And I definitely, once again, if I apply it to uh, Kyrie versus the rest, it's probably a little bit different way how I would think about it. Um, what The part that I agree with you is he leaves no room for nuance in his statement. Um and the thing that I don't like, so that's why I'm cringe on that's why I'm cringe on this statement altogether, right? The thing that I don't like that the NBA has done is that is put a certain type of rule for the entire NBA organization, and then a different rule for players, hmm. right? So for everyone else that is in the in the in the arenas, everyone's associated with the game has to get vaccinated. They don't get the option, but the players are not required. And to me, it's like, well, pick one or the other. Because they view them as talent, not employees. That's right. Yeah. And like that to me is like, talk about elitism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is elitism. It is elitism that you are a all-star point guard mm-hmm. and that you can basically choose, like, hey, you know what? Deal with it. 
I'm just not going to do it. And even if it costs my, my, my team the season, because I'm not going to play half of the game, like, that's okay. I get the choice. And the NBA having a very different set of rules, something like this, of how they're applying it. Now, to Jonathan Isaac's point, I don't mind the idea of someone saying, hey, listen, maybe the goal, the goal is not necessarily getting people vaccinated. Maybe the goal is people to have immunity or to have certain level of, of, of immunity to the to the disease, of which can be done primarily through the vaccine, but it can also be done if you are if you actually got COVID. So instead of having a policy that everybody needs to be vaccinated, we have to have a policy that anyone has to have a certain percentage of immunity. And the second you fall below that, then you need a booster shot. Then you need whatever else. I'm okay with that. By the way, that, that, pre- that, that actually that premise like, of immunity I've mentioned before on this show is the premise of of how you know me personally in our family we deal with you know vaccine issues, not COVID, but in our yeah, in our, in our, that, yeah, in our yeah. upbringing of our kids, right? Testing for immunity before the vaccine, because in the case of at least one of my kids, he already had it, right, and right, it's right. like you there's that. you know what I'm saying. So like, and it's yeah, a very so easy thing to do. I, I don't I don't mind that. So I'm not a purist in this standpoint of saying like everyone has to be vaccinated. I think to Jonathan Isaac's point, like. That also that makes actually a lot of sense. I'm, I have more issue with the fact that they have this very different approach to other treating players here in this for this specific case. Because at the end of the day, uh, you're not keeping the players completely isolated from the rest of the staff that is there. They're all part. They're all mixed in. And sure. look, as a matter of fact, the league was one of the first to start shutting down when when the whole COVID thing kind of blew up, right? Uh, and you saw it right away where players themselves got sick pretty quickly. So I think it, it, look, I, I I wouldn't mind at all. What Jonathan Isaac is saying, using that as the policy, but I would like to see a more consistent policy. But at the end of the day, the comments of Kareem, I, I can't. Cool. I can't be encouraged with him because of, of the the lack of uh, nuance. I'm with you. By the way, on the leagues, do we? Is there a league that doesn't treat the athletes like talent as opposed to employees, or do they all treat the the athletes no, like talent? I think talent? they all treat the the athlete like talent, yeah. uh, as opposed to employees. But I do, th- but I do things with things like this. Where the dynamic between how they're interacting, transmissibility is all like the same as a yeah, because we're all the same humans, right? We're all humans, so like that one doesn't make sense. I think for other things, for sure. Like I don't think that uh, that you know the guy that the whatever employee should, that have sells like hot morality, should have the same a morality clause yeah, in his contract. Like, I get like, that. Yeah. Like, um, that makes complete sense, right? So, anyways, cool. Right. So we we're one for one. All right, more sports on the docket. More sports. Courage or cringe? Washington Spirits' the female co-owner calls on controlling owner to sell amid turmoil. Is it bad that I had to look up Washington Spirit? It is bad. Okay. Yes. yes. We won't talk um, about that. Washington Spirit co-owner Michelle Kang, mm-hmm. in a letter to Spirit investors, calls for majority owner and CEO Steve Baldwin to step down. Right. She's also an owner, though. Right. She is. She's, she's a co-owner. A right. Co-owner. She's a minority co-owner. Minority co-owner. Minority okay, co-owner. Okay. Yeah. So this, while the National Women's Soccer League investigates allegations by female employees of a toxic, misogynistic work environment at the club, right? Now, she said in this letter, it is time for the spirit to turn the page on this sad chapter in its history and bring in new leadership to chart a new path. That change must start at the top. I call on Steve Steve Baldwin to put the club first and honor his commitment he made to Commissioner Lisa Baird and me on August 13th, right? So, um... By the way, so yeah, so it sounds like he actually had committed to do it and then kind of changed his mind, right? <laughs> Which is that we got to ask the mix. I've worked with that guy before, by the way, with a guy like that, not him. But I mean, <laughs> I've worked with that guy before. Right. Make um, a commitment and renege two seconds later. Yeah. Apparently, the league has completed its investigation, but it has not made it public. Now, initially, this investigation was open because to examine allegations of verbal abuse against the team's former coach, uh, Richie Burke, right? So it was just the coach. But as they started looking into that, the kind of probe widened to include allegations by multiple female employees of a toxic old boys club 
air quotes, uh, culture, including the use of the grading nicknames for female players by a male executive. So the idea there <laughs> is... just does not sound like a good idea. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't care what what that nickname is. It's not going to... It's, not, it's just not going to go well. Low no. percentage Low move. percentage, right? Um, and so the, 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 the pushback is... The head coach may have had his issues, but this is a fish rotting from the head down kind of dynamic. Is well, the reason part of the argument here is that the spirit has lost 40% of the female staff listed on his <laughs> website at the beginning of the season. That might be a problem. Including assistant coach and three of his five female department heads. And you may have a problem here, right? Houston? Yeah, exactly, right? Because your point is fair. We're like, well, maybe it was just the coach. I'm like, well, mm. this doesn't sound quite right. Now, according to Kang, she was told by employees and players that a climate of fear and intimidation had persisted with the team. An archaic and hierarchical command and control mindset built on bullying and cronyism left no room for the values of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. Now, after helping basically revitalize the club when he, he did, bought the controlling ownership. I think you just described C, like CAA or Hollywood yeah, exactly, agency, right? by the way. So Baldwin, basically, he bought into the club in 2018, right? And helped revitalize, et cetera. But he's been overseeing operations, right? In the middle of all this upheaval. This is right? one of those investors, which we also know the kind, right? The investor who invests, but he <laughs> really wants to be CEO. He's the closet exactly. CEO. Closet you know what I mean? CEO. Yeah. Yeah. We, we know a few. Mm. And by the way, now even the fans are getting into the demand for change, right? The Spirit Squadron, which is a fan group for the team, sent a statement that last week that it would not chant, fly flags, or play drums until new ownership was in place. Dang. We're not cheering for we're you not even anymore. We're for the in team. Protest. Yeah. We're still going to show up, by the way. So courage or cringe. We like the beer. Majority owner being held accountable for creating a toxic culture or political move to appease fans by only blaming the male CEO. Jesus, I'm courage on this. Let me tell you why. Have you seen what this club has been through over the course of the last two months? I mean, the chronology is staggering. Beginning on August 10th, we're talking two months. Mm -hmm. the, the head coach steps down, right? He cites health concerns, which now right. ends up not <laughs> looking at uh -huh. The following day... The Washington Post releases this huge thing about toxic environment literally mm -hmm. the following day, right? Verbal abuse, racist comments, I mean, this whole thing. Right. August 19th, eight days later, they announce a partnership with IntelliBridge, which is a defense contractor for Homeland Security and law enforcement to be the front logo of their jerseys, right? <laughs> In the context of what just is happening, right? And, and look, I'm sure all the people that are Telebridge are lovely, and I've got no problem yeah, yeah. with defense contractors. But my point is, even I know the comedy of timing, right? right okay, right, right. That's August 19th. Uh, okay, on the 21st, the president of business operations leaves. On the 29th, there's this, um, the collective, the, the Rose Room collective says, we're not going to, they basically come out on social saying, sell the team. Like, it's like, it's like LAFC's 3252 coming out and saying, hey, we're done. Like, we're, right. we're not, we're not banging the drums anymore. On the 30th of August, there's more reporting from the Washington Post. On the 2nd of September, they fire, they, they hire former DC United player and head coach Ben Olsen as president of team operations. Olsen, this guy has no prior experience in women's soccer. Ties to, he has ties to one of the other minority uh, owners who's this uh, venture capital guy who's got his own issues, right? Um, I, I mean, on September 4th, their match is postponed because of a COVID breakout. They're hiding the COVID stuff. They're, there's accusations of not following the protocol on September 10th. Oh, that's I mean, right. They didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Dude, yeah. it's like August to today. Like today, there's like a new scandal. You know, as I'm hearing you describe it, all I can, all I can hear, the soundtrack that's playing in my head is uh, the Benny Hill soundtrack. You know what I'm talking about? like this, this, like, this just collection is. of co comedic errors. It is. That are it's, a comedy, it's a comedy of errors, right? Um, yeah. So 
September 10th, a former player releases a podcast episode detailing the toxic environments around the Washington spirit. On the 11th, they forfeit a match. On the 23rd, they confirm, uh, the Washington Post again confirms a report about multiple women having left the front office. I mean, this is like one after the, this is two months. Right. So if the question- How can you not blame the CEO? How do you not put on the CEO? It's a slam dunk for me. It's courage. All right. I'm Piece cur- of cake. I'm courage with it. Uh, you just made all the points as to why this is courage. All right. Easy. Great. Earlier to the baseball two, game. Here we go. Two, two for two. Come on, Dodgers. Die your dogs. Last courage. Who are they cringe. playing tonight, by the way? Oh, man. I you don't even, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. Sorry. That's sad. You. You're um, not a Dodgers fan. Yeah, and I know I'm not, so that's why I can no, say No, I, I am a Dodgers fan. No, I, I, I am too. I am too. I just don't know who they're playing. Yeah, I just don't know today. Um, all right, last courage or cringe. Next, James Bond, openly gay or a woman? Wow. What? Mm. So the latest Bond film, which I'm very excited about, mm-hmm. is about to hit theaters. That looks cool. And will be the last for Daniel Craig. Who's your favorite Bond, uh, Bond actor? You know, I, I got introduced to the James Bond series or films uh, with... Um, Roger Moore. No, no. Actually, I saw those afterwards. It was really was. With, How young were you when you first saw it, though? I guess that's part of it. I was pretty. I was pretty young. I got uh, into it in the eighties, probably late eighties. Yeah, 80s. I was yeah. like, in, I was maybe like eight around there. Um, yeah, so it been it been in the eighties, right? Oh wow, mid eighties. Okay. Yeah, uh, and it was with uh, Sean Connery. Okay, so, so before, Sean Connery is the first more. that I remember. Yeah. Sean Connery is the first one that I really remember. Like, yeah. uh, it, and it was a, the guy before. He did a couple of them, I think. I yeah, he, nobody knows his name. Yeah, I don't. I don't. But it the was original Sean Connery, guy, Sean Connery, and then Roger was, Moore. I mean, listen, I would say even with Sean Connery, the very first time that I went to go see like one in the theater, yeah. like I was a big fan of James Bond. Mm-hmm. I had a, that action figure. I don't know if you have ever seen this. I had the car. Figure. I had the Lotus car that went underwater and like did all kinds oh, of stuff. Nice. I had like fins. My, I literally I had, had like what looked like a Ken doll, like that oh, size. I know what you're talking about. And it had a blue outfit, and it had. Little jet propulsion pack, nice. from whatever that, and that was like, oh, that was that my was... favorite toy, right? Holy moly! Um, and I remember my parents taking me to go see James Bond. It's at the time I was living in Mexico, so that's actually just part of the reason why it was a little bit later because at the time it wasn't like now. Films will come out like a lot of times, sometimes years later, especially in the small town. So I wouldn't see them when they would come out, right? So the first one I went to go see him was like years after it originally premiered. And I remember coming home and my mom like took me to the side. She's like, hey, listen, like. <laughs> Because it was like so much like sex scenes and everything. And oh, she was like, sure. She was like, look, I know you're a big fan of James Bond. The movie is like, that's just a movie. Like, it's like, it's not exactly and by the way, that. In the she 80s, was trying to explain it to me. Like, the, she felt like odd. Of course, it's awkward. In the 80s, a, a PG movie meant X. X rated. Right, right, Literally, right. it could be like, I well, remember. It was like, there was so much of it, like, he was a womanizer. And it was oh, like, yeah. oh, well, like, that, that's still and, and, mm-hmm. but, but even to the point where it's like, it's like borderline. <laughs> You know, like harassment or even worse, right? Uh, but I, you know, but I was, I was saying all that to say that I really do like Daniel Craig. I think he's done a really good job in this in this role. I really like the, um, I like a lot of what they've done with the character. Was shown much more like that he's conflicted. not perfect, conflicted. That he has issues. That sure. he has hurt. Like that he's hurt. That he's trying to like work his Pretty way. Pretty damaged dude. Yeah. Yes, yeah, damaged dude. Yeah. Like the fact that he has problems. Like I think it makes him much more interesting character. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's actually done a really good job. I, I really like the way that he's portrayed it. Cool. But this is his last. His last one. So he's mm. been playing the character for fifteen years, right? Um, and basically, just happens every single time. The question now turns to who should play the next, uh, the iconic, you know, character next, right? So. It was interesting that like a number of these actors have actually weighed in, right? So first was Daniel Craig, uh, and he said he doesn't believe the role should go to a woman. Now specifically, he said there should there should simply be better parts for women and actors of color. Why should a woman play James Bond when there should be a part just as good as James Bond, but for a woman? 
Okay. That was his comment, right? Then you had Barbara Brock- Broccoli, I guess. Yeah, the producer. Yeah, the film producer. The, the Broccoli's have been producing since the 70s. Though. Yeah, this I, don't is know like, I think this is the daughter, right? <laughs> I have Albert no idea. Broccoli is the original I have producer. No, idea. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, this is like as he. Broccoli had as much. Uh, like branding and name ID on James Bond than Bond did. I mean, I remember the the, the oh, title credits. Yeah, I never, I've never noticed that. Oh okay. yeah, I think this is the daughter. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, so yeah, so she basically jumped into and, and, and agreed with with Daniel Craig. He said, "Look, James Bond can be of any color, but he is a male, or he is male. I believe we should be creating new characters for women, strong female characters." I'm not particularly interested in taking a male character and having a woman play it. I think women are far more interesting than that. Okay. Then you had a new character, Lashana Lynch, who's the actress, who plays the first female agent 007. Uh, and she looks like she's pretty badass. Like, I'm very excited to see her in this movie. Have you seen this in the, in the, mm-hmm. the clip? Yeah, she mm-hmm. looks like she knows what she's doing, which is, which is awesome. She was asked if she could be, if she herself could be the next Bond. Uh, and she said, basically, with Bond, I could, it could be a man or a woman. They could be white, black, Asian, mixed race. They could be young or old. At the end of the day, even if a two-year-old was playing Bond, everyone will flock to cinema to see what this two-year-old going to do. No? <laughs> like, okay, that's interesting. And then the last one is you had Ben. I would like to go on the record that I disagree with her. Uh, okay. Ahead. Well, we'll get to the why, right? So then you, have to, then you have Ben Wishaw, who plays Q. Yep. Um, and he says, when asked on his thoughts on casting a gay Bond, and part of the reason he's being asked because he himself is, a, is an open, he's openly gay, right? He said, God, can you imagine? I mean, it would be quite an extraordinary thing. Of course, I would like to see that. I really believe that we should be working towards a world where anyone can play anything. And it would be really thrilling if it didn't matter about someone's sexuality to take on the role, a role like this. Now, what, was, what that was kind of interesting the moment I saw this comment, especially the last one, is that, it, you know, interesting enough in the Bond film, specifically the film Skyfall, there is a scene where at least it's kind of implied that Bond may be bisexual. He's the you, you, so it's a scene that he I has. I did see it. Yeah, with Javier Bardem. Yeah, yeah. So it's a comment that he makes because in the character, the character, the bat, the the main bad guy, Javier Bardem, is someone that is at least is fluid. I would say it's not. They don't necessarily say what he is, and he's like interrogating him. That dude's an intense dude. That is, yeah, yeah. I like him a lot. Yeah. Um, and he's like he starts kind of like hitting on him, like kind of caressing him. He's like, oh, I remember. What's this. wrong, Mister Bond? Like, yeah. You know, I remember that you're right. You're like, right. He's like, what well, makes you think that I haven't done this before type of thing, right? Now, it could be thinking all in gist, but at least, like I'm saying, or it, it could also be, be that when you're, when you're working in espionage at that level, there's a lot of things that you do because you think you have to, or you Yeah, or, for you sure, know. right? So there's, I, I, that's my kind of, when I saw that scene, like, that makes some sense, right? Did, did, you, did, you, was, also, did you watch uh, No Country for Old Men? Or, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very Dude, good. intense Very movie. Good. Yeah, yeah. I will say, Bar the whole thing is, is intense. Um, even how they made him look. I mean, the, the whole thing is just it's done really, bizarre. really bizarre. Really, yeah, really but well. it'd be but 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 very intense and very yeah. powerful. Yeah, and there was also, if you remember, a couple of years back, rumors because you know there's been rumors that Daniel Craig was going to leave the role mm-hmm. of actually uh, Idris Elba taking taking the role, which immediately got major blowback. People were very upset uh, of him taking the role. So, oh look, ultimately, really? Kurt, who was upset? Oh yeah, really? For what? Yeah, yeah. Because what? Because he's black? Oh yeah, for sure. You joking or you? No, I'm a, I am joking. Oh, okay. I didn't hear any of the blowback. Oh, I thought really? it was like like universally considered like that'd be really interesting. No, the opposite. People, yeah, were upset because he's black, for sure. No, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, Courage or Cringe, I guess I just missed time that. for the next Bond to really take on diversity. Mm-hmm. Or classic character should remain classic while promoting other diverse voices. Okay. Um, okay, so Charlie, I, I'm Courage go- or Cringe. It's a cringe for me. Um, actually, hang on. Let me back up. What is what is the cringe on? Yeah, I guess the cringe is really that is should the next James Bond be something a woman other, or, yeah. other than I would say look think of it as something other than a, than a, than a straight white guy. Got it. Okay. Um, I'm a cringe. 
Look, I agree with Daniel Craig and with um, what's her name? Broccoli, the first name. Yeah, the producer with uh, where, uh, Barbara. Barbara Broccoli. That's a name that you can't get out of eighth grade unscathed with. But I agree with both of them. Look, Bond is a man, and he is a straight man. That is the character as it was created, and I think that. But you think it should be a white man? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that okay. it, he needs to. Well, I don't know if I, I think he needs to be European. He needs to be from wherever the character is actually based from. I don't think he needs to be white. He needs to be from that country, so England. Right. Or is he Welsh? I don't know. Whatever. I think he's Scottish. I wouldn't say, but is he Scottish? Maybe. Well, the not, not the actor, the character. Yeah, the character. Okay. Well, whatever the character is from, he mm-hmm. should be. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe. Okay. Now, okay. Well, if he comes in different uh, colors, that's fine. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a little bit of um, the Catcher in the Rye. Did you ever read that book in high school? I, I don't recall. Maybe the, the Catcher in the Rye. It's like this. I don't remember. Super it, famous book that everybody, for the most part, when we used to read books, we read them in high school. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible book. In fact, in reading it, I realized that I wanted to have some type of career in communications just reading this book. Mm. Phenomenal book. The book was attempted to be made into a movie a million times. The writer, a guy named J.D. Salinger, was super reclusive, a little a little weird, mm-hmm. a little kind of nutty. There's a bunch of documentaries on him. And he ended up like uh, living in some place upstate, New York, I think it was, and like he wouldn't talk to people. And he, mm. he just it ended up being a little bit of one of these like Howard Hughes characters that maybe had some some issues that we didn't we didn't recognize them, but we would recognize now. Mm. Anyway, this thing would have been a blockbuster, monumental, huge hit, like Doctor Zhivago or like the Ten Commandments, big mm-hmm. back in the day. But the guy refused to have the movie made. He was like, that is not my creative vision for this. This is a book. It will remain a book. We'll mm-hmm. never adapt it. We'll never do whatever. I wrote, I'm going to write it in my will. This guy was dead serious. And mm-hmm. to this day, it has not been done. So I think ultimately when you're talking about fiction, we have to respect what the creators of that fiction are doing. And my presumption is mm-hmm. that we probably don't have the creator. Uh, actually, I don't know. Albert Broccoli, I think, what was I, I don't know the history. We should look I think it, it was up. Based on short stories, initially. By the way, there's a, a piece that we mm-hmm. uh, we both actually have shared it with you. Um, a project that we just heard of recently of of a, a person you know claims, and I don't know if it's true or not, but that the whole character of James Bond was based on this Dominican guy, uh, Playboy Dominican guy. Which is a, so it's a really interesting thing. Ian Fleming. The, Ian Fleming. That's the guy's name. That just, yeah. yeah. I just I just looked it up, and that's another guy who gets a ton of branding on these films. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Ian Fleming, who is he alive or did he die already? Um, let's well. Anyway, I'll look that up in, while you tell me what you think. But um, but I think it's up to Ian Fleming, who created the character, to decide what the character actually is or isn't. And I think, or whoever the rights holders happen to be at this point, that's who should make this determination. So, so my issue is that it should be that. Um, having said that, the whole idea of Bond as a as a character. You know, I have maybe different perspectives than most people would have. I actually think that he's not a very good example of what it is to be a guy at all, right? I think, in fact, his name is a little bit of a malapropism, right? Because he's he's pertained, you know, perceived in a way as like this model of manhood, right? But the reality of it is, is that what he is, is he uses women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's never a father. He doesn't accept responsibility for any of the relationships that he has. Mm-hmm. Or and maybe this is beginning to change just at the tail end of Daniel Craig's career, right. where now there seems to be a woman and there's all this brokenness. But historically, that hasn't really existed. Yeah. 
And and we see I see a character that has very shallow relationships. They're purely utilitarian. So I think yeah. his whole name bond it's it's kind of an ironic thing because he's a forty year old guy with no bonds. So right. like I actually don't look at this person or character as a heroic kind of character that most people or anyone should really want to necessarily emulate. Just to be mm-hmm. clear in terms of my position. But having said that. He's a guy, he's whatever it is, Scottish, British, right? Whatever. just like British broadly, okay? Yeah. Welsh, English, or Scottish. He should remain, and he should be a guy, and he should be straight, because that's part of what the character actually is. So there you okay. go. That's my thought. Um, I, so you are cringe on the idea of, of yeah, I think it's based I'm, on how we describe it. I'm cringe, it, cringe on, on, the idea on, of, yeah, of, on him of, being a woman or whatever. Yeah. Right, it's basically, mm-hmm. yeah, deviating from what the character has been historically, Correct. is what we're saying. Would you change the name if you, it was a woman, though? Like, out of curiosity, would you say, would it be... In other words, yeah, is, is mean, that uh, not, is that now a new character? Do you uh, see what I'm saying? No, I, I think it depends. You could do it a, a couple of different ways. You could do it where you change the first name and still be Bond, right? Okay. Where it's just not James. Or look, the reality is like you have a number of women that have, you know, names that are that are very, you know, that sound like they're they would be a male name. So I, or I they could have, have him be one of his illegitimate kids because you know he's had a few. So I mean, you know, they they, could be, they, in terms of how you get to it, it's a bunch of different ways. Look, of course, I, I'm I am. 100% courage. Like, mm-hmm. I love the idea of rethinking that character. In part, for all the th- so a lot of reasons that you're actually bringing up. I mean, this is part of the reason why I want to say that Daniel Craig is probably is my favorite version of, of James Bond. And and even like, because I do think that the even with all of his still many shortfalls, it is a much more broken character. What it highlights, the fact that if you're going to live this life, lifestyle, you have to be pretty screwed up. Like, you're not necessarily like a happy person. Like, we tended to so much romanticize what this would be, a guy that is flying around, you know, killing people, you know, seducing all these women and that he's generally happy. No, that guy's going to be like super unhappy. Like he doesn't like himself very much. He's going to have a lot of issues. And I feel like they at least touched on a number of those things in this in this version. Also, going back to what we were saying about the the whole thing with Skyfall and him saying say anything, even from like the, the, the architecture of the character to hear that, hey, this guy is at minimum bisexual or to say that he simply doesn't like he sees yet again as another tool in his tool set like that makes a ton of sense for me as a character like if this is a spy who basically his MO is do whatever it takes to complete the mission he's got a license to kill why people why wouldn't he why would that be a place it to, would to, put, that's to my draw point. a line that doesn't so, make him gay or bisexual right, it just right it could be a thing where like it's just he doesn't really care one way or the other right and, and that's and frankly I think that actually makes sense to me for that character like it I think could. that's a part that wasn't probably considered or thought about when it was originally written right and then things that I'm looking at as as um as a point of reference okay so one is I think a lot about the the comic book industry and how much they've like how much license they've given the characters to evolve to be different incarnations of what they are that's true so different, and I love but that but they're I different really universes though in many cases or the Captain America that we very, talked yeah, about was like a different uni- sometimes they're very universes in the case of Captain America it's actually really really cool like actually that series anyone who hasn't watched it I, 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 highly, I really liked it a lot the whole um, um, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier it's a great, it's a great series, and I love. Well, I don't want to give it away, but I love the name at the end of it, right? So as you watch it, you'll see like the very end how they how they wrap it up. I think it's really well done. But the whole series is about the Falcon becoming Captain Amer- Captain America, like he is now the new Captain America. Everyone calls him Captain. So even that idea that this name can transcend the person, I think is really really interesting idea. I, I really love that. And in one of the other series that I really like a lot from mm-hmm. the Marvel universe is the series that they're doing right now, uh, animated series called What If. It's really cool. Like it's I haven't really seen it. yeah. So um, the what if is an animated series. So basically, they're going into the whole like multi universe, 
And they're showing how like one decision completely changes the path of what happens with how some sure. of these characters get built, right? Yeah. So the first Which one, is true. the first episode is um, is the moment where Captain America is about to become Captain America. And there's like a, the spy that is there to kill the the scientist and up throwing like this grenade or something. So ultimately, he ends up having to get out of it. And the like the process is going, so Agent Carter becomes Captain America. Right, and it's like a real, like it's super cool. I would totally watch that movie. But isn't it easier to do in the case? Really interesting. Isn't it easier to do in the case where a character is taking on a mantle, a title, a responsibility, as opposed to the the actual person is something? You see what I'm saying? In other words, Tony Stark is Tony Stark. There could be many Iron Mans. Let me use that as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Potentially, yeah, yeah. You could, you could do it. I think you could do it either way. I just would love, from a creative standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, I would love to see. Them really like think about this character in a very different. I manner. would not object like, on any level I think if we said. Be awesome. Let me give you an example of a storyline. If we said James Bond had an illegitimate child, which again I would think that that would well, not be unreasonable all to presume. In this case, like <laughs> because that dude's like. <laughs> well, but we don't know of any yeah, children yeah. that he has. Is my point. Right, but right. let's say in a film we discover that he has an illegitimate child, and it's a girl, right? right. And she is the new Bond or whatever. So she's in the mantle of Bond, but it's not like we're taking James Bond and saying, this is now James Bond. Right. That's the thing that I have a little well, bit of a difference of opinion with. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I, I, I just think it'd be really cool to do that. And just simply because I think about some of the, some of the storylines I've been creating, especially around, around comics. And I, even then you've, they've, you know, many cases, I think having to get too restricted or too tight out that it has to live exactly in the way it was initially intended as a short story, exact whatever whatever the first sort of source material was. I think it's great to rethink these 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 characters that are that sort of we've grown up with. And look, my version of what Jane Vaughn was when I was watching Sean Connery makes sense for the for that time, for the 80s. It was because that was the time when Chuck Norris was a hero. It was all very black. The bad guys are the bad guys. The good guys are the good guys, right? And like it was very black and white. Mm-hmm. And I think having these more complex characters just makes the the I think the I don't know the series more fun. Cool. That's my, all right. Well, thank you for humble, for humble ending pain. in a discordant note with the right, uh, disagreement. Right, right. Awesome. So now we can uh, move on with our days. Get you to your um, baseball game. So we had hinted about a move that the show is making. We're not. We have now formally made that contractual deal but we're not going to announce it yet but we should probably tease a little bit no of what sure what we're doing yeah do you want to go ahead <laughs> brought it up go ahead well for everybody listening so we we have done a deal with a fairly significant um podcast network that we're going to be announcing imminently on this show hopefully next week maybe week after yeah. at the latest that will get this show uh, far more distribution, promotion, um, and love across the board. Maybe get us a variety of different guests that we perhaps wouldn't have access to if we were just um, yeah, and sort I, of solo independent. I think the, sh- the short term is that, of course, to bring this content hopefully to a wider set of people. But also I think the longer term opportunity is to really use it as a platform to be able to bring more stories to life, to be able to have more conversation that we can bring forth. Under the thematic that we've been trying to push, right? A lot of what we, we're doing here, and hopefully it comes across, you know, trying to bust the echo chamber, right? Taking the maybe sometimes non-traditional position on things that people feel that we should just because of who we are. Uh, and we think there is need and opportunity to do more of that. So stay tuned for that announcement coming up, but just want to make sure to keep you informed. And thank you, obviously, for listening and for helping get the show to a point where somebody would be interested in it. So that's uh, very much appreciated. Um, anyway, lots of fun stuff coming up, but I think that's all we've got. We'll get Jesus off to his Dodgers game where he will play, they will play whoever, the mythical, we don't know, team. 
but you have some beers and Dodger dogs for us, right? I, I, I will absolutely do that. Yeah. Cool. All right, everybody. We'll see you again next week. On Padres, TDR. by the way. Padres. Padres. <laughs> you, you messed up my clothes. All right, everybody. See ya. If you enjoyed this episode of the diversity remix please remember first of all to subscribe and help us to spread the word tell your friends family co-workers and give us a five-star review we're available on apple and google podcasts spotify and everywhere else you get your listening fix and lastly please remember to stop by blackbrown.us the creator of this podcast and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business the Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.